You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If you read the Bible for any length of time, um, it's going to become very obvious to you that in God's eyes, us loving each other is a really big deal. John 15, this I command you, that you love one another. 1 Corinthians 16, let all that you do be done in love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love. It's just a, it's a tiny little sampling, but here's the obvious conclusion. For a people who have been so clearly called to love each other, there's way too much venom that flows across Christian lips. For a people so clearly called to love. I'm way too impatient with those who are difficult. For a people so clearly called to love. I, I am way too apathetic to the people around me who are in need. For a people so clearly called to love each other. There's, there's way too much gossip. Way too many offenses that are just, are just left lying on the floor unforgiven. But besides God, only you know what, what words have come through your lips this week. Only you know the thoughts that have, you've entertained. Only, only you and God know all the words that you've put out by text message or email or on social media. Only you and God and your family knows the conversations that have happened behind closed doors. And, and, and therefore, only you and God can do this, what needs to be done. And that is for our actions to be weighed against the standard. So I want you to do something for me. I, I want you to, we're going to look at, at, at a passage at the beginning, and then we're going to quickly move to our text this morning. But open up your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14, if you have a Black Pew Bible, it's on page 1180. And I'd love for you to turn there because I want you to see it for yourself. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going we're gonna to read this passage, but if you will, just stick a little piece of paper or something there um, for us to come back to later. Colossians 3 verse 12, so 
As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. So, so weigh yourself against, against these words from our God. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just just look at how he doesn't let us off the hook. Who, according to Colossians 3, are supposed to forgive those who hurt them. Yeah, yeah, but but, but look, look what it says. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Behold all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. With that in our minds, sometimes I read a passage like that, and it's tempting just to, you know, you hear all these words, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and they just all kind of run together. And then in real life, I tend to really let myself off the hook very easily. But I want you to see from our text this morning that he really means it. Take a look at Genesis chapter 13. We're picking up where we, where we left off in Genesis on this journey through this book. And we come to Genesis 13, verse 5. But in just a second, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Before we jump in, let's just let's remember where we've been. It's been a, it's been a week or two. So somebody, somebody tell us what happened in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Yeah, Abram is scared. His wife is beautiful. He's scared he's going to get killed if he goes down to Egypt so that somebody can have his wife. What he doesn't expect is that Pharaoh is going to take notice of his wife. And he's going to, he's going to bring Sarai, his wife, and make her his wife. He does it, and as he does it, what makes it even more sick is that as he's doing that, he's getting rich because Pharaoh enjoys his wife so much. But then we saw in chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, that even in the midst of Abram's failure, that God is an amazing lover of his people. It's like he's just saying, I will not stop loving you. So Abram goes back to the place that he was before, to the last place he worshipped before he goes down to Egypt. And there the Bible says he called on the name of the Lord and God forgave him. Washed his sin away. As if it had never happened. With those things in mind, look with me at Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. 
He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went up with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If, if to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. That it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go down to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you command us to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience that, that we would bear with one another, that we would forgive each other, whoever that we have a complaint against, that we would forgive them the way we've been forgiven. Father, we know that that's not going to happen because today we decide to be nice. It's going to happen when your Holy Spirit moves through your word and transforms us. So we pray today that you would work. We pray today that you would feed us on the gospel and that that gospel would be so full in us that it would overflow. The people around us would be loved with Christ's love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start this morning by noticing the attraction of wealth. Take a look at verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. At first, when I'm reading in verse 2, you're reading coming out of, of Egypt. Here, after everything Abram's done, and then we read in verse 2, and Abram leaves Egypt rich. It's just kind of amazing to me. And at first, it just seemed like, wow, he is under the blessing of the Lord. But as the story unfolds, we see that with this blessing of wealth comes an abundance 
of temptations. And we, we see that the problem begins with Lot. And you may not have noticed as we've been going through the book of Genesis, but, but Lot has just been inconspicuously just scattered here and there in the story. We saw in chapter 11, we learned that Lot's daddy was Abram's brother. But, but Lot's daddy died. And so Abram took Lot in, it seems, into his family. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, when God told Abram, I want you to go into the land of Canaan, we're told that he took Lot with him. In Genesis <coughs> chapter 13, when Abram fled to Egypt because of this famine, Lot went right along with him. And notice, and when Abram leaves Egypt, once again, Lot is with him, and it appears that they're both doing quite well. Then we get down to verse 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were unable to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. They have so much stuff that they're unable to live together. And if you, it's hard for us to imagine this. It's not just a matter of well, this town's not big enough for the two of us. Is that they had these massive flocks. And the land that they're grazing on is not able to sustain the whole, this, this massive amount. And so somebody's going to have to go and find another piece of land for their animals to be able to feed. They need to spread out. But I don't want us to miss what's happening. In some ways, this is a side note. And I've chopped tons of stuff out here. But I just want us to know just to see this plainly, that instead of making them closer, their riches are tearing them apart. You think about what they've been through. That they lived through the loss of Abram's brother, who's Lot's daddy. That they lived through this, this traveling into this land of Egypt, in the, excuse me, in the land of Canaan that, that they've never been to before. A dangerous place where the Canaanites and the Perizzite lived. They've, li they've survived that. There was a famine. They went together and they went down to Egypt. They survived that. All the fiasco that happened in Egypt. They survived that. They leave on the other side. After being through all of that, what divides them is money. The text brings us out. You see in verse 6, it brings it out with a play on words that it's easy to miss. The word in verse 6 translated so great is the word rav, which sounds almost exactly like the word in verse 7 for strife, reeve. In other words, their riches caused a riff. Their stuff brought strife. And I'll just, I'll just say this in passing, but it's, it's worth us noticing that money is not the Savior that it claims to be. One of the favorite things to do is to sit around with somebody and say, what would you do if you had a million dollars? It's so easy for to think, oh, if I just had a million dollars, that's when my life would be fantastic. You ever read what happens to people when they win a million dollars? This is why the Bible gives so many warnings about money. I'll just give you one. 1 Timothy 6. Those who want to grow rich fall into temptation and a snare 
and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not the Savior that your heart believes it to be. Just look at what happened with Lot and Abram. Verse 11. It says, Thus they separated from each other. The text literally reads, Thus they separated a man from his brother. That's the deceptive attraction of wealth. And all of that is kind of a side note in some ways, but it sets us up to see what I think is the main point of this text, and that is the beauty of selfless love. Take a look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, and I love that Abram is not merely concerned about the strife between him and Lot, but he's, he, didn't even, he wants peace among their workers. Abram wants peace in the land. And so Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please, separate from me. If to the left, in other words, Lot, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered and everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go down to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. I want you to notice there's one problem. There's this division over money, but I want you to notice two very different responses. First, let's take a look at how Abram responds. And, and the, only, the only thing I can say about this is that Abram responds with incredibly humble, selfless love. You feel his passion for Lot. And just for the glory of God in having peace with his brother in verse 8, where Abram says to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. Now let's, let's just remember what's going on here. In this relationship, who is of the higher rank? Abram. If you know anything about ancient Near Eastern cultures, you know that the people who are older, they're of a higher rank than those who are younger. Abram's been the one taking care of Lot. Abram's the one who took Lot under his wing. Abram's probably the reason that Lot is rich. And yet notice that Abram is the one who takes initiative in this relationship and says, Lot, I don't want there to be any strife between you and me. And so Abram says, Look, let's get up on this mountain. I understand there is a mountain right there where they were, where they could see the whole land. And he says, Lot, just pick whatever piece you want. And I'll, I'll choose something else. You choose the best one. Isn't that fantastic? Like, if, if you start thinking about that kind of love, all of a sudden, I mean, you, you'll see what goes on in your heart. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to. Like, this kind of love makes people vulnerable. You might be scared to death to love people this way. But could we all agree in this room that that kind of love is beautiful? 
That's the kind of love that we're after. What if we loved our spouses like this? Abram's loving his nephew like this. Abram's loving his ungrateful nephew like this. Wouldn't it be amazing if we loved our husbands and wives like this? Wouldn't it be amazing if we loved our kids like this? All you children, look at me for just a second. Wouldn't it be amazing if in your house you loved your brothers and sisters like this? What if we, with all of our preferences, we loved each other like this? What if we in this room poured that kind of grace on each other? This is the kind of love that changes the world. Now contrast that with Lot. Look at verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go down to Zoar. So, Lot said, verse 11, Dear uncle, everything I have I owe to you. Look at all the land before us. Abram, I want you to choose for yourself the richest portion of the land. And I will find another spot far away so as not to hinder your flocks, but, but close enough so that we can remain as tight as we've always been. Not what he says, is it? No, Lot chose for himself. All the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Lot looks at the land. He determines that it's the best portion of the land. And so he chooses that land. And it all comes down in verse 11 to two words. Lot chose for himself. This well-watered valley of the Jordan. I want you to notice how the author wants you to feel the allurement of taking care of yourself. You think about that in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan. Does that sound familiar? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. I think that's clearly what the author wants us to see because look at verse 10. Look at what he calls this well-watered place that Lot chooses for himself. He says it was like the garden of the Lord. Just like Eve, Lot trusted his eyes more than he trusted the promises of God. And I hope as we, as we think about this that, that you're saying, you know, this, this sounds really familiar with, to me with the way that I choose cookies on a platter. This, this sounds an awful lot to me like the way I choose parking places at the store. 
This looks a lot to me like the way I choose jobs on my family's chore list. Let me wash the dishes. No, no, no. No, no, let me wash the dishes. Parents, how many times have you pretended to be asleep so that your spouse would be the one getting up with the baby? How many arguments take place in your home over who had the toy first? How many arguments take place in your home over who gets the passenger seat in the minivan? I want you to notice that Lot's not some wacko narcissist. Lot is what every single one of us would be if left to ourselves. That's how we're all tempted. But you tell me whose way is best. We'll see very quickly that, that what Lot thought was heaven turned out to be a living hell. But here's what's crucial for us to see. Is that this story wasn't written so that we would read it and say, Oh, that's a good reminder. I need to love people better. Great. We can just wrap this thing up right now. I want to remind you that this story was written because God's Holy Spirit desires to transform us. And the way that He transforms us is through the proclamation of His Word. And so what I want us to do is I want us to dig a little bit deeper because we need to understand what it is in Abram's life that empowered this kind of selfless love. And I want you to see two things. First, I want you to notice that Abram had been changed by grace. Remember what Abram had been through? Like right before this, Abram messes up big time. He basically sold his wife as a prostitute in order to save his own neck. He got rich off her affair with Pharaoh. But then he repents. He goes back to the last place where he worshiped God. And the Bible says that he called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord forgave him. A guilty man calling upon the name of the Lord and he is forgiven. If you think for a second about what he deserved. It's easy to say well, he deserved to go to hell. That's true. He certainly deserved to have the promises of God revoked. At very least he deserved a divorce. I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm reading this text this week, I'm like, what would I want to do to the man who did that to my daughter? But instead, God holds in His hands an ocean's worth of grace and just pours it out on Abram's head. He heard Abram's cries from that altar and He forgave him. That's what empowered Abram's Kindness. Abram had drunk from the cool, crisp waters of grace to the point of satisfaction. And look what happened. He lived a life that overflowed with grace. So, 
I'm really glad Mark left this up on the screen. Because we've always agreed as a body. Let's just, let's just boil down. What is it? Of all the things going on, Chris and I made a list of this week. We at least started on a list of everything God wants his church to do. And it's a long list. It's a tiring list. We, we boiled that down together. And we said, well, you boil it down to as simplest of terms. What is it that God is calling First Baptist to do? And we've said God is calling us to grow in our trust in Him. He wants us to be a people that trust Him. Thick, thin, happy, sad. We trust the Lord. And He wants us to be a people who are growing in our love for each other. There are some people who are easy to love. There are some people who are hard to love. He wants us to be a people who are learning how to love each other the way Christ has loved us. And then He wants us to be a people who are, who are then from empowered by that. We trust Him. We are loving Him. We are loving each other. And then we're inviting other people into that relationship. It is fantastic for us to see that if we are going to grow in love for each other, we have to get this. If we are going to love people the way God calls us to love people, then we must be a people who bathe in the love has been poured out to us in the gospel. If we are going to love people actually in real life, like if you're going to love the, the brothers and sisters that, that, that God designed for you, God, it'd be a whole lot easier if you'd give me different kinds of brothers and sisters I have to deal with. If God, it'd be a whole lot easier if you give me a different kind of spouse. It'd be a whole lot easier if the people in this church weren't so difficult to get along with. No, the people that God has sovereignly put in your life, those are the people that He wants you to love. And if we're going to love them the way God wants us to love them, then we must remember the gospel. Believe the gospel. Love the gospel. Recite the gospel to ourselves. Remember the gospel constantly until the gospel is seeping, overflowing into every aspect of our life. And here's the gospel. That although you deserve the anger of God, God in Christ has poured an ocean of grace on you. That Jesus Christ, in all your mess, in all your flaws, in all the ways, just like, let's just not list all my sin. Let's just think about the list of me not loving the people who live in my house. Let's just think about the ways I've just gossiped this week. You, in all of your mess, He loves you. He loves you. And He proved it. By walking up a hill called Calvary and bleeding that you might be forgiven. That's ingredient number one. If we're ever going to love, then you've got to be loved. If you are ever going to love the crazy people in your life, then you've got to realize that God in Christ has poured His love on you. Tracy reminded us that's exactly what Colossians 3 says. To turn back there just for a second. Colossians 3 verse 12. I want you to notice in Colossians 3 verse 12 that He does not merely say, listen people, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So put on a heart of compassion. 
Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. No. Look what he says. So, as those who have been chosen of God, loved by God, forgiven by God to the point that He calls you holy. And beloved. I want everybody in this room in their hearts to be saying, He's talking about me! You put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has complaint against anyone, how? Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Of course unbelievers gossip. Of course unbelievers backstab each other. Of course unbelievers pick the best jobs when it comes on the assembly line. Of course, of course unbelievers spend all their time and money on themselves. But not you. Not us. You've been chosen by God. God Himself has placed His affection on you. You've been forgiven by God so that God doesn't look at you and say, you dirty, rotten sinner. God looks at you and says, you're holy. You are beloved. That's ingredient number one. Abram loved because Abram had experienced love. Ingredient number two, Abram could love because he believed the promises of God. I want you to, I want you to see what's going to come together here. I, I want you to see what's happening is that, is that Real love and faith, that they are married to each other. You simply cannot have one without the other. N notice this. Abram knows that he's loved, and he also believes the promises of God. Why is it that Abram is so generous with the land? Here's the answer. Because he knows that God has already promised him the land. He knows where he stands. Abram didn't have to worry about taking care of himself, because he believed that God was going to do that. That God was going to keep His promise to take care of him. God had promised. Abram had believed it. And it freed Abram to love. Notice this connection between faith and love. I had a list. I'm just going to give you one. Think about Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? And listen to Jesus' answer. You do that, and your reward will be great. Do you see that? That's, that's, that's what Galatians 5 is talking about when it talks about faith working through love. Faith is like train rails that, that real love gets to ride on. Faith is like the soil in which love gets to grow. That's why I love our mission statement. We want to be a people that trust God. And if we trust God... This is what we'd be empowered to do. To love His people. If we trust God enough to be vulnerable, enough to be generous, enough to be sacrificial,
Enough to say you before me. People will be attracted. Jesus says the world will know by that. That I'm the real deal. It's very clear that God has called us to love. This means you loving your neighbor the way you love yourself. <laughs> Which I've just been reminded recently that that means you need to know your neighbor's names. It's a good start, isn't it? It means that you saying in every relationship and every circumstance, you before me. It means you saying in every relationship and every circumstance, I'm second. It means you saying, I'm second. I'm not just second, I'm second and I'm happy about it. Here's what it means, parents. It means that we don't need to establish in our homes that the, the, the main rule is whoever had the toy first. That's not the standard. The standard is we love our neighbor the way we love ourselves. My first desire is for what's best for you. This means an end in our relationships of tit for tat. This means an end in our relationship to I'll be good to you when you start being good to me. This means an absolute end to us keeping score. This is, listen, I really appreciate you saying I'm sorry, but I forgave you the second you did it. This means you and me getting used to being very vulnerable. Putting our neck out there to be Putting our heart out there to be broken over and over and over again. You'll never do that unless you trust God to take care of you. Which means the burning question then in the room is, look at your life. Children, look at how you're loving your brother and sister. Look at how you're loving your spouse and ask yourself the question, do I really trust God to take care of me? I want you to notice that Lot did not. He trusted his eyes. He trusted himself. He trusted the created world to satisfy him. He protected himself. He moved east. I don't have time to go there, but you can go back and read Genesis 1 through 12 and notice every time somebody moves east, they're moving away from the blessing of God. Notice that Abram is the one through whom the blessing is going to flow and Lot is moving away from Abram. He's actually moving, if you know anything about the geography, I don't have a map for us, but it's at the very edge of the promised land. Lot is moving away from the blessing of God. What looked like paradise turned out to be everything but paradise in Sodom and Gomorrah. But notice that Abram did. He believed God, the Bible says, over and over. He didn't have it all right, but he believed God was going to take care of him enough to sacrifice everything to love his nephew. And look at what happened. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now, lift up your eyes. 
And look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, Abram, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. There it is. There's the gospel that we need to love the way that we are called to love. We are commanded to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We're commanded that with humility of mind, we regard one another as more important than ourselves. You and I will only do that if we trust the Savior, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself. And he took on the form of a bondservant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself and trusted God to take care of him. And you tell me what happened. Here's what happened. The Bible says that for this reason, because he trusted enough to love, because he trusted enough to empty himself, God highly exalted him. And he bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Your only hope, my only hope, of every loving people, the way we're commanded to love, is to trust that Savior. And to believe his promise. To take care of his children. Let's pray. Father in heaven, only you know. But you do know. You know every heart. You don't just know what we do and what we say, but you know our motives. And I pray that your kind spirit would right now be, be revealing selfish motives. And I pray, pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be directing people who've acted selfishly Toward the Savior who never acted selfishly. Father, I pray that your spirit would be working in the lives of children. Who, who, who considered themselves to be so good. Lord, I pray that you would show them their need for Christ. And today, they would repent of their goodness and trust in Him. Father, I pray today that you would be transforming what just real life in our homes. Today, February 9th, 2020, would mark the end of our yelling and, 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 and hurting each other. Father, I pray that this would be the day that when, that when we are tempted to gossip, that today that you would bring repentance quickly to our lips. Father, we beg you to make us a people who are growing in love because we're growing in trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.